Welcome to the podcast. In this week's discussion, we are going to, as usual, go through an idea from Rav Hirsch's point of view on the weekly parsha, on the weekly portion. But what we're going to do this week, which is slightly unique, is show a parallel in the Siddur, in the Jewish prayer book. My reason for doing so is quite simple. I was going through um, Rav Hirsch's commentary on the Siddur with one of my students, and at the same time I was thinking about what I was going to discuss in this week's parsha, and the two ideas sort of paralleled each other beautifully. So let's jump right into it. In this week's parsha, we have a bizarre situation. Just to give you the backdrop, we're in the beginning of the Exodus. Moshe is going to Paroi. Moshe is going to the Pharaoh of Egypt and demanding that the Jewish people be let free. And before this, he had argued with God whether he should be the one to be the savior of the Jewish people and how he felt he wasn't up for it. But now we have a situation where he basically goes and fails. It doesn't work. He attempts it and it doesn't work. And now we're going to have the shift where things begin to take place, where we get the ten plagues, and the exodus really gets going. But before this takes place, literally shoved right in the middle there, is a genealogical register, who Aaron was, his brother, his cousins, Shimon, Levi, his ancestors, and it starts going through the intricacies of who is related to who, not only Moshe, not only Aaron, but their siblings and their uncles, and it sort of takes it further back and starts discussing where everybody came from. Now, this really raises two very fundamental questions, like, why is this being said now? And why is this being said at all? So, to repeat these two questions, why at all and why now? I know who Aaron is, I know who Moshe is. Why do I need their cousins, their uncles? Why do I need all this? Why do I need to place them now? Now, the answer to this question very much will fit into what I mean by this discussion I had with a student of mine about the prayer book. Besides the Bible being there to proclaim certain ideas, it is also standing against certain misconceptions. And this is the parallel that Rav Hirsch brings out in the Siddur, in the Jewish prayer book. So what is the misconception that is being called out against? Well, Moshe is a man. And you're going to say, well, of course he's a man. He, we know he's a man. Ah, but this is the stage where one could take a different approach. Think of the time. We're in the height of the Bronze Age. Pharaoh is a god. He is a powerful god. Like the Nile is a god. An idea we mentioned two weeks ago, this embeddedness that ancient man had with the world. Men were gods, men who displayed power, men who displayed strength, were called gods. And what is about to happen now? This man, Moshe, is going to take a shift, be the one in front where this entire world is turned upside down, where the Egyptian worldview is going to be shaken to its core. This is a person who is primed to be proclaimed a demigod, a man who is primed to be proclaimed as something more than just human, not an idea uncommon in this day and age. It's not so far-fetched that we have a man who displays certain characteristics, displays a certain willingness for self-sacrifice, a man who displays and articulates words of love and words of truth and is proclaimed a god. Rav Hirsch says that this idea is being stood against then and now, that Moshe, our teacher, our leader, is a man. This is essential to be said now, to stand against that dangerous misconception that can rise up. And our second question, well, wait a minute, why do I need the whole, you've told me why now, but why all this other people and extended family? Well, because there's an idea that also has to be articulated. Not any man is chosen for a mission like this. There were plenty of other people. There were firstborns. It didn't have to be his father, his grandkids that were chosen. It could have been his uncle's side. 
but no Moshe was chosen. Moshe was chosen because he displayed a willingness to stand up for what was right, as we've seen demonstrated in the past week's parsha. A willing to stand up against injustice, be it with Sipira at the well, be it to stand up against injustice where he saw a Jew being beaten at the risk of his own life. A willingness, or I want to draw peace between people. We see these ideas being articulated throughout the parasha last week, demonstrating Moshe's love for justice, love for peace. This was a man who was chosen because he displayed these qualities. So we have our two ideas. The first idea, that Moshe is a man. He had siblings, he had cousins, they knew him, they grew up with him. He was a man with the failings that all men have. His very humanness stands against a dangerous misconception that can rise up when great men do great fates. But this very idea leads us on to our second point. Because he was a man, because he had the struggles that men have, when he was chosen, he was chosen because he was a worked-on individual. He was chosen because he was the greatest of individuals, as demonstrated by the fact that there were plenty of other people that could have been chosen. There were firstborns, there were older people, there were other people on the table to be chosen, standing against our second misconception. The misconception that one day a man can be a regular dude and then comes along and says, God spoke to me. That's being stood against here as well. There were plenty of other people who could have taken this job. There were plenty of other people that the Almighty could have chosen. But no, he chose Moshe, as demonstrated by giving us this sort of family lineage and Moshe being picked from it. But now that's bring us on to our, my parallel that I mentioned. Well, it's interesting. This was a biblical sort of proclamation against a misconception. But if we go to our prayer book in the morning, and once again, I have to stress for a, in a limited way, Rav Hirsch's approach to prayer is not the pouring out of your heart. You're not sort of um, trying to change God's mind per se. Prayer from the word hit palel, and in a different podcast, we'll go into this in more detail, but it means to reflect on oneself, palal, to judge. And lehit palal is a reflexive way of saying to judge, within to mix and in, imbue. The idea is you are imbuing, you're reflecting how you stand against certain ideas. You are self-judging yourself in reference to truths and ideas that the rabbis, the sages, the men of the great assembly wanted us to reflect upon. In general, that's the idea of prayer. And this point really does give a beautiful parallel to what we discussed at the beginning. Each morning we say two ideas. One, we say Asheyotza, and blessing we say after we use the bathroom. And then we say Eloikai Neshama, which is basically a proclamation that God gave us a pure soul. Now, when I was discussing this with the student, I was saying, well, why is this important to tell us? And it sounds cute, of course. Yes, my soul is pure. It was always pure. and it's. Uh, so, but why is that so important? It's an interesting situation how we can see a almost a philosophical outlook fall out of the Siddha. It's the Siddha that's often not really looked at as being that philosophically complex, but with a certain sensitivity or with a certain glasses which Rav Hirsch offers us, he literally draws out a philosophy of life from our Siddha. So if we take a step back and ask ourselves, what else is on the table? What other worldviews, what other philosophies of life are being presented to us in this day and age? What are we exactly doing? We're in this form of prayer. We are reflecting certain ideas. What ideas are we reflecting upon? Well, that when we speak to God, when we talk to the creator of existence, we reflect on our bodily output. After we go to the bathroom, we thank God that we have the ability to use the bathroom, that our orifices are open and the ones that are closed are closed. And we are thankful for this. And then we talk about the purity of our soul. So we take a step back and we think of another culture that is very much alive today. How does it look at the body? 
There are certain trends in Christianity that look at the body as something shameful. Look at the body as something that you would never talk about when you're talking to the Almighty. The Jewish people say no. The Jewish people say no, we do talk about this. This is an essential part of what it means to be human, so of course it's sanctified. Of course it's part of the discussion. And the soul, well that's something that certain people consider damned, in need of saving. And what do we say every single morning? No. That part of me that is a, what's known as a chelek elokai mimal, that piece of me, that divine part of me, is pure. That divine part of me doesn't need redemption. That divine part of me doesn't need someone to die on a cross to make me worthy. No. I can make myself worthy. The ability to be worked on, the ability to become morally pure, the ability to work on our characteristics, work on our character traits, and become more godlike. This classic phrase for halachto bidrochov, imitatio dei, to walk in God's way. This calling that we all have, this imperative we all have, is something we have the ability to do ourselves, something that we are called upon to work on ourselves to try and achieve, not something that is given to us. And the Jewish people proclaim this every single morning. We recognize our body is something that can be sanctified. And we recognize that. And our soul is something that is pure. Hence, we have the ability to uplift this world. And that is according to everybody. But the Jewish people articulate this every morning. So we see this beautiful symmetry in this week's parasha, a standing against the idea of man being God. And a standing against the idea that any man can be a spokesman of God. No, the morally worked on. The one who is working himself towards being a sanctified human being. And then we have the contemporary example in prayer or in the Siddha, how we call out every morning these two fundamental truths. One, that the body can be sanctified. The body is part of the conversation and we are not embarrassed about that. And that our soul is pure. And these two ideas together, our soul and our body, is what we use to complete our mission in this world. So on one side, we have being flesh and blood, both Moshe and us demonstrated by Moshe being described by part of a family and by us by proclaiming it every morning with Asheyatza. And Moshe's position taking work and effort and us affirming it every morning with Eloikai. We say that our soul is pure, not in need of saving. All that is needed is the work we have to put in. And that's what it means to be on this mission in life. Our position needs work and Moshe Rabbeinu's position needed work. Neither of us are given it on a plate. So. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Once again, I really do appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed, and have a wonderful Shabbos.